Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't it great? This is what church is all about, isn't it? Hearing what's happening. Somebody accepted Jesus. We can pray for other people. We can help each other. And that, that translates into what we want to get into as far as discipleship. So I want to welcome all of you here this morning. And uh, I've told lo- lots of people already, I feel more comfortable sharing in front of a bunch of little kids than I do adults. So I guess I'm just going to look out there and look as, at you as a, a bunch of little kids. So bear with me this morning. I want to obviously say what God has placed on my heart. And uh, as you can see in the, in the bulletin, title is, Who Am I? Genesis, uh, we're, going to be looking, we're going to be looking at Genesis and Genesis 3 and 4. But it's about Moses. We'd studied about Moses here a while back in our Sunday school lesson. So you know that, I know that you're familiar with Moses. We're all familiar with Moses. But I just want to read this one verse found in 1 John 2.7, uh, where John was writing as well. Brethren, I write no new commandment with you, but an old commandment, which you have, you have had from the beginning. The old command. The old commandment is a word which ye have had from the beginning. So what I'll be talking about this morning, it's nothing new. It's just a reminder. And Merlin keeps talking about that as well. He wants to remind us of what's in the Bible. And that's what we're supposed to do when we're discipling each other too. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. So that's, I won't be saying anything new, but I just, this has been laid upon my heart. And it's because I look at Moses, then I look at myself, the journey that I've been on, the journey of saying, who am I? Why are you calling me God? Some similarities there. And so I must admit, I'm, the, I'm one of those persons that said, who am I? God, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. And so, as far as my personal testimony, some of you have heard a little bit when, on the evening of my licensing, some of the, the wrestling with God, not knowing for sure why I'm called, looking back on what has happened to me and our family, all the different experiences, but then the word, word encourages us as well. Looking back in my younger years, I had been called, I felt a calling of God that I'd be entering into ministry sometime in my lifetime. But during that time, I had several opportunities, felt God, didn't feel like timing was right. Felt God saying, no, not, not now. Then got involved in missions, all kinds of different missions. I love being involved in missions. Got started as a youth in town line. Had my first missions trip. Went down to um, El Dorado, Arkansas and helped with a building project there. From there, became youth, uh, youth leaders there at town line. We went on several missions trips. When we were in Phoenix, obviously that's, that's missions. We went down there to help with inner city kids. But before that, Lisa and I, I had gone, spent a year in Oregon as well in missions. Then we moved to Phoenix. We were there for 10 years. 
During that time, we got to go to Mexico, helping out in missions as well. Then we came to Riverview, became youth leaders here, went on several mission trips here. After that, as an adult, as a widower, I went on several mission trips as well. But what is missions? This is missions, isn't it? This is another mission field. In discipleship, we're learning, we're going to learn our backyard, our neighbors, our family. They're all missions. They're all mission field. So I just want to take that into account. That God, wherever God has placed us, that's our mission field. And so I have to view it as such as well. I have to view it that God has placed me in this role for a purpose. So I want to honor God in doing that. When I was asked to serve, when I was asked to consider serving as associate pastor, I told Merlin, I said, well, you know, it seems sort of odd. Here I'm in my upper 50s, and you guys are asking me to come into the ministry. Generally, most guys are starting to think of retiring from ministry, and here I'm just starting. But then I had to think of some of the other men in the Bible. All the, they weren't young. There was Abram, he wasn't young. Noah, he wasn't young. Moses, he wasn't young either. They're all, they're, I'm not sure how old they would have been, but as I, as I uh, have done some reading, Moses might have been closer to 80 years old or so when he started his ministry, leading the Israelites. Then a modern day person that I can think of is David Wilkerson. Uh, he had done some uh, he had served as a pastor, was doing some ministry, and then he went to New York City. He started Times Square's church when he was 58 years old. When he was 70 years old, he started traveling across the world with his son Gary in, in missions that way. And if you want to make reference to those of you that don't know who David Wilkerson is, uh, he wrote the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, a very powerful book. So anyway, we can ask those questions, who am I? But there's two different ways we can ask that question. Who am I? Lord, I can't. Then we look on the other side. Who am I? Lord, I'm not worthy. I can't do this on my own. So where are we at? Where am I at? I'm over here. I can't. Or I'm not worthy. So that's, I guess, the challenge for myself was, was that. Where am I at? Do I want to keep making excuses? And so, obviously, when, they, when Merlin had asked us to consider it, we told Merlin, give us some time. Rhoda and I want to pray about it. And we took quite a bit of time, maybe too long, I don't know. But we felt God was leading us. And finally, we met with Merlin, talked with him, and said, we can't, we don't have a reason not to say yes. So, here I am. But who am I? And so I'm just challenging all of you. That's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Who am I? And which way am I going to be? I can't start giving excuses. Or who am I 
God, I'm not worthy. So there's a bunch of people in the Bible that said, who am I? I can't. How many of you can think of several examples? Just spit some names out. Jonah. Moses, obviously. One of the first, I hadn't thought of Jonah, but that's a good example too. One of the persons I had thought of was Gideon. This was his response in Judges 6.15. But Gideon answered, Lord, how can I save Israel? My family group is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least important member of my family. He had an excuse. Didn't hold God back. That doesn't matter. I'm going to help you. So we can have reassurance that God is going to help us. Jeremiah, as a young person, as a prophet, God came to him. Jeremiah 1.6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child, or a young person, a youth. But then God touched his mouth and gave him the words to speak. There's always an out for God. When God calls us, we should answer. Ananias, we're very familiar with Ananias. He was put in a very scary situation, wasn't he? God called him to go do something that I don't think any of us would have wanted to do. Acts 9, 13, 14, this was Ananias' response. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And then obviously Moses. He had multiple excuses, but we'll get into that in a little bit here. Then the response, who am I but feeling unworthy? One of the first persons I thought of was Daniel. He was put in a bad situation as well. He turned that bad situation with God's help into something good. He ministered to those people even though he was a slave. And there was lots of times that he, I mean, he translated, I mean, interpreted dreams and he prophesied, but he was willing, even though God placed him in a, a tough situation. Then in the New Testament, very familiar one, Mary, mother of Jesus. Her response in Luke 1.38, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. She was willing. She was very young. She understood what was supposed to have been happening. They were taught as Jews that there's going to be a Messiah. And now God has chosen her to be used in the lineage of the Messiah. And she resolved herself to that. Behold, your handmaid of the Lord. She was submitting to God's will.
Now let's look at Moses. His name means one who draws out. Sort of unique. He got that name from Pharaoh's daughter. One who draws out. Did she name him that? In such a way that she thought she was drawing him out of a people group or of a society that had no hope? I think God had his hand in that. What did he do? He was drawing his people out of the land of Egypt. So it's sort of unique that God does, works in, th- in ways like this. He can use any situation in our lives and turn it around for good. I had to think of the people in Ukraine. They're in a tough spot. They're in a tough situation. Let's continue to pray for them. But what is the church doing over there? They're looking for ways to help these people escape, get in bunkers, provide food for them, provide transportation for them. But they're involved. Am I involved in trying to help people escape from what? From hell. From eternity separated from God. Am I involved in that? And that's my challenge to to all of you. As we start the new uh, quarter as far as discipleship. How am I going to be involved? What can I do? Where can I be used? But there's many places that we can be used. Now we go back to Moses. He was an ordinary man. Well, he became an ordinary man. He'd He'd grown up in Pharaoh's household. He had everything going for him, but then he saw his own people suffering and he took the situation in his own hands, quote unquote, and he became an outcast. He had to run for his life. He ended up living in the desert. He was a shepherd. Living out there, I'm not sure what went through his mind all those years. Did he regret what he did? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But obviously God was taking him on a journey. And so many times when we go through rough times in our lives, what are we on? I call my experience in life a journey. A journey that I did not ask to be on. And so many times I look out over the crowd here, there's so many of us that are on a journey that we did not ask to go down, to be on that journey. But what am I going to do with it? How's God going to help me? Go through that journey. He's going to help me. He's going to help all of you. And then we can reflect back on where we've come from, where we're at, and for what purpose. Maybe to encourage somebody else that is going through the same journey. To step in, to help them out. Am I willing to do that? So anyway... Moses had grown up in the house of Pharaoh. He had everything going for him. But God saw that this is the man that he's going to choose later on in life to help them come out of slavery. So he chose him. So he had to teach him. He had to grow him. So he had to live in the desert for a while. He had to learn some hard things. 
And so I, I guess my challenge to all of you is, as well as to myself, when I'm going through something, what is God trying to teach me? What am I going to learn from this? I heard someone say once about facing hard times. So many times we ask, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this situation? But he challenged me. He said, what can you get out of this situation? Not how can I get out of it, but what can I get out of this situation? What can I learn from this situation? So I think that's what God was doing with Moses, with all of his challenges, with all of his questions, with all of his objections. Now this morning, when we look at Exodus 3, chapter 3 and 4, it's going to be from a little bit different perspective. Like I said, I love teaching kids. So I'm going to give credit to to a book written by Ken Davis called Sheep Tales. I don't know if anybody's ever written it. It's an awesome book. And so I'm going to use that perspective to bring the story of Moses. So I would do, be doing a little bit of reading here and some expounding on it, and then I'll have some uh, closing thoughts. This is from a perspective from a sheep. His name is Herman. So we're going to start with Herman. And when, once I get to the scripture part of it, I will say this is which verses they are. <clears throat> Herman had been minding his own business, enjoying an afternoon snack of weeds beneath a desert shrub when the shrub burst into flames without warning. There was no alarm, no whiff of smoke, just fire from nowhere. Where was that sudden heat coming from? Herman turned to find out what was burning. It was a strange fire that danced before his eyes, a fire from a bush. The heat was intense, but there was no smell of smoke. And the bush didn't burn up. No ashes, no smoke, and not even the usual crackle of fire. Herman wondered what the shepherd would think about all this. Then he saw that the man was already staring at the curious flames. And Herman stepped aside as the shepherd walked up to examine the bush. Exodus 3, verses 2 and 4. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw <clears throat> that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Herman almost jumped out of his fleece. He could handle a little spontaneous combustion, but a talking bush was another thing. He hit the ground running. About 50 yards away, he stopped and looked back. His heart was racing. In his short life, Herman had heard the dry, sinister whisper of a snake. He had shivered as coyotes barked, hunting instructions. At the first light of dawn, he had heard spooky owls hooting their greetings to each other on a moonlit night, but he had never heard a bush speak. It scared him to death. If a burning bush doesn't get your attention, a talking bush will certainly do the trick. The bush spoke directly to the shepherd. It called him Moses until that moment. Herman had never heard the shepherd's name, but the bush spoke his name with such authority that the ground trembled. The voice was frightening, but there was something wonderful about it, something that quieted Herman's racing spirit. 
and drew him back toward the bush. Doesn't God call us back with his soothing voice? He calls us back. Now standing in the sunlight and hearing the Holy One speak made Herman feel beautiful, part of something so much bigger than his own little world. How honored the shepherd must be that God would speak directly to him, that he would call him by name. The shepherd was affected by the voice too. As soon as he knew who was speaking, his curiosity turned to fear and reverence. Herman waited, frozen with awe, watching to see what would happen next. Now verses 5 through 10 in Exodus 3. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. All of these things saddened Herman. But now there was hope. Moses, Herman's very own shepherd, was being sent by the Creator to lead God's children out of horror and into hope. What an honor for him to be chosen. What an honor to be a sheep with a chance to witness such an event. Herman inched forward, his chin a little higher, and his step a little prouder. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? A bleat escaped from Herman's throat. He was incredulous. Who am I? What kind of answer was that? This was God of the universe speaking and using a burning bush for pity's sake. What kind of man would ask, who am I? If only I could speak, Herman thought. I, could, I would scold this shy shepherd. I would show him how foolish it is to hesitate when God calls. Herman was just a lowly sheep. He knew this, his was not the most respected role in creation. But if God were to speak his name, he knew he would not hesitate. When the time came, sheep could be as courageous as any animal. And he was referring to what? Giving their lives as sacrifice. Sheep were given in their lives as sacrifice at that time. But the Creator was not asking Moses for his life, merely his servants, his obedience. And Moses had answered, who am I? I'll tell you who you are, Moses, Herman wanted to shout. You're the one he chose. He considers you equal to the task. Stop asking like a frightened little lamb. Go! But sheep can't speak, at least not in a way humans can understand. So Herman just shifted his foot, his weight, 
from hoof to hoof and made a little bleeding sound. Moses heard Herman and turned in his direction. But at that very moment, the voice spoke again. Verses 12 and 14. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought this people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Here again, he was just reminding Moses of who he was. I am who I am. And Moses was asking, who am I to begin with? A deep sadness washed over Hermon. Just across the desert, thousands of men, women and children, loved ones of this majestic creature, creator were dying. Many of those still looked Still alive, long for the rest only death could bring. Herman shook his head in frustration and thought about making his way back towards the flock. But then the earth beneath him began to shake. The great voice spoke again, and Herman pricked up his ears to listen. Verse, verses 15 through 22. Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on to say there in, in the verses up to 22 saying, gives details of how this is going to happen. How the, the Egyptians will bless them. They, they're going to beg them to leave. There it was. What more could Moses need? What more assurance could he want? Surely he would respond now. For God had given just the words to light another fire under Moses. Herman looked at him eagerly, seeking the glimmer of excitement that ought to be shining from the shepherd's eyes. But all he saw was more doubt and fear. Now look, let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? This time, Herman ignored Moses. He spoke directly to the bush. I believe you, he bleated. I'll go over here. Yes, me, the sheep. Please send me. Herman figured any bush that had the ability to speak Hebrew could understand the language of a sheep. The bush must have heard and understood, but Herman knew deep down that this was a thing about men and women, not about sheep. And God had already made his choice. He had chosen the best, but the best was not giving his best response.
Was God going to have to set the whole desert on fire? At least Moses could have come up with an original excuse. What if they stake me to a pile of fire ants? Might at least have been an interesting objection. What if they slice me into pieces with their swords? That would have been a fair question. But all Moses could come up with was, what if they don't believe me? In verses 2 to 9. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then he also had told him to reach into his cloak and to withdraw it had leprosy on it. And then he said, and if they still don't believe you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground and it turned into blood. So he's giving him reassurance that he's going to be with them. But one thing I had to think of is when God asked Noah, uh, not Noah, Moses, to grab that snake. Where do most snake handlers grab a snake? Behind the head. God was asking Moses to do something extraordinarily hard. Why? Because a snake can reach around and strike you if you grab him by the snake. God was asking Moses to not withhold from doing what looks hard from a human standpoint. It looked impossible to, be, to do that without getting bit. God asks us to do hard things too. He asked me to do a hard thing, but he was right there. He walked with me. He held me, and I'm sure he carried me lots of times as well. But I know God is faithful. He has carried me many times. Going on to verse 10. He has another excuse. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have been eloquent. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow with speech and tongue. Verse 13 and 20. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him put words, and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, 
so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Again, reassurance that he's going to be with them regardless of what happens. God was giving Moses instructions. He was asking him to do something. And he was revealing to him directly. He was speaking to him what would happen. There were four objections. The first objection, who am I? In verses 11 and 12. Who am I? I can't do this. But he reassured him. That was basically, Moses felt complete, unfit for the task described. How many, of, how many times do we feel like that? But then God came back and reassured him of a, a promise of a constant accompaniment and complete provision for him during this time. Second, he goes, Moses complained. What is his name? What if the people say, well, what, what is this God that you talk to? What is his name? So basically, he was, Moses was saying, well, the people are ignorant of who God really is. The character of God. God's reply was, I am who I am. God will prove himself as ever dependable and sufficiently resourceful to meet every need. And obviously we've seen that through the study as they went through, the, through the, the, the desert. So many times they were complaining, God always provided. Even though we as human beings think, why did he do that? He could have just whacked them and said, go on and live your own lives. But he provided for them. Thirdly, he comes up with the excuse, well, what if I go tell them and they won't believe me? That I actually heard from you. What did he do? He gave him three miracles to go by. The snake. The leprosy. And the blood. The water that turned to blood. He gave him three miracles. To show to the people. That yes. I did hear from my God. From your God. These are the miracles. This is what he told me to do. The fourth objection was. I am slow of speech and tongue. There again, what was Moses doing? He was focusing on himself. I can't do this. I can't do this. I need help. God gave him an out. He gave him Aaron. So we have to realize God's always going to provide for us. Even though we can be the lowest of lows. And we don't understand. We don't know what God's doing. We might even voice that. God, I don't understand what you're doing to me. But then I should, looking at myself, I should ask, but what can I get out of this? How can I learn from this? So many times, he's gifted all of you different than he's gifted me. You have gifts that you can use. We're going to be talking about discipleship. Talking to your neighbors. Praying who you can disciple. There's so many different things that we can use to disciple. What about any of us? Anybody that likes to cook, bake goods. Is that a way that we can at least introduce Christ or talk about Jesus? Bake something. Take it to your neighbor. 
What about family? Do I take the time to sit down and read to my children, to listen to my children? There's a mission field. Do I take that time? I'm talking to myself as well. Do I take the time to listen to my spouse? To take time out for her? There's so many ways that we can view the different mission fields God has placed in our, in our, before us. Noah. Here's some examples of willingness and obedience. Noah. Genesis 6.22 Thus did Noah according to all God had commanded him. So did he. How long was he building that ark? That would have been discouraging, wouldn't have. But he had the reassurance that God was going to help him. And he did. Abram, Genesis 12, 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and let him and Lot went with him. Leaving everything he knew, going to where they don't even know. God's just going to lead him. He didn't even give him a destination. Just go. Philip, Acts 8, 27. So Philip got ready and went. Just go. Then when he's on the road, God told him, there, see that guy over there in the chariot? Go talk to him. Am I willing to step out? Am I willing to do that? What holds us back? Proverbs 29, 25 is a scripture that we can think, take to heart. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That's not saying that we won't have trials or hard things that we're going to go through. But if we trust in the Lord, he's going to help us. He's going to help us make it through. Because where does fear originate from? From Satan. He wants to defeat us. He doesn't want, to, want us to be involved in God's ministry. He doesn't want us to be involved in spreading the gospel to d- disciple others. But then we also have another verse that we can rely on. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can grasp those words and hold them to our hearts. Another verse that I was just challenged with lately, Luke 5, 5, response that Simon Peter had. They were out fishing all night. They came back in. Jesus was teaching them. He told them, go back outside and, and lower your, their nets. This was Simon's response. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Am I willing to yield what God is asking me to do? I will let down my nets because you have asked me to. I guess God calls us to be persistent as well. Sometimes when we're in prayer, we think God isn't asking us, isn't answering prayers. He will answer. Maybe not the way we want but he's going to answer. We need to be persistent. What about that, the, the parable that Jesus taught? The widow lady that kept coming back to the ruler. 
She wanted justice, and finally he gave in. Not saying that we can persuade God, but it's talking about the spirit of being persistent and keeping asking, and not just by ourselves. We can surround ourselves with other friends to ask God to help us. Here's a modern-day quote from David Wilkerson again. If you think you're too old to be involved in missions or to do something, if you think you're past your prime, this quote challenged me. Your best days as a servant of the Lord may still be before you. So I hope we can all go forward with that, trusting God that he's going to help us, trusting God that he's going to be providing whatever we need. We can come up with all kinds of excuses. God always had the answer for Moses. He's going to have the answer for me. He's going to have the answer for you, even though sometimes we have to wait for it. Life's not easy. We were never promised an easy life, even though we choose to follow Christ. So that's my challenge to you. So at this time, what I would like to do, um, Trent's going to throw up a, a prayer up there. And if you truly mean it, I want you to repeat it with me and mean it in your hearts. It's been a prayer that's challenged me over and over. I prayed that prayer after Lisa passed away, after I felt like I had gone through my grieving process, obviously still grieving, but what's he do? I asked him, I told him, I would yield. And he asked him that I'd be willing to be used again. So if you truly mean this, let's repeat it. Say it with me. Lord, use me once again. Touch me. Bring me to my face. Put me on my knees. And let me hear your voice instructing me. Then use me as you see fit. I am willing, Lord. Amen. So that's my challenge to you this morning is to pray that prayer but then to pray it expectantly. What is he going to do? What's he going to ask of me? It's not going to be easy. God didn't say that life is going to be easy. But all those examples in the Bible, he helped them. So, are you going to be willing to grab the snake by the tail? So with that, I just want to, as we stand for closing prayer then, I'll be asking a blessing on the food. And we welcome everyone to stay and, and fellowship with us. But like I said in the beginning, it's nothing new. You've all heard this before. But it was a good reminder to myself. Am I truly being reminded or is it just something that goes in one ear and out the other? So shall we all stand and I'll ask a blessing on the food as well. Heavenly Father, as you heard us praying this prayer that we are willing, Father, help us to go out and to be used by you 
whatever, however you have called us. Some people might be called to go into missions elsewhere. But we know truly that we are called to spread the gospel wherever we're at. People we meet from day to day. Our family. And Father, we just want to celebrate. We heard that this morning. A young believer. Because he has seen what has been happening in his mom and dad's lives. And the way that they lived. Help us to be that example to those around us. Help us to continue to pray for that one that we need to disciple. That you will direct. We just want to commit our hands, our lives into your hands, Lord, trusting in you, knowing that you will provide that for us. And also, Lord, as we are gathered together, as we fellowship with food, Lord, we ask your blessing upon the food. We pray that your name would be glorified, that we would honor and glorify you in our fellowship, one with another, that we would encourage one another as well. We thank you for the food. Help us to use it for your honor and glory. Guide us throughout this whole week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.